1: Dear Hank and John.
2: Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear Jenny and John. Oh my God. <laughs> <You're laughs> no, not Hank. I'm just totally <laughs> cutting you out of the podcast. <laughs> Off
1: to an incredible start. It's a podcast where two friends, and sometimes two brothers, but sometimes two friends, answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Jenny, I have a cold right now. I got a sinus headache, and but did you know that ants ants don't get sick? And do you know why?
2: I do not know why.
1: Because they have tiny little antibodies.
2: Oh, maybe they would get sick if you told them that joke?
1: I don't think that they'd get it because they probably don't have like a super detailed understanding of how the immune system works. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. But they do actually get sick just for clarity. I just wanted to correct the incorrect thing that I had previously said as part of the joke. I didn't want anyone walking away thinking that ants held the cure to all disease or anything.
2: Thank you for being honest about science.
1: Yes, that is one of my main goals. Everybody, this is Jenny Owen Youngs.
2: Hello. Hello. What is
1: your biography? Tell people about you. you. Well,
2: I am a Sagittarius with a... Uh, Leo rising and a Libra moon. And, um, you know, I just make music and podcasts and talk to my friend Hank, whose name I totally know.
1: (laughs) It's not. I mean, my mom does that all the time. So I'm not going (laughs) to hold that against you. Well,
2: what are moms for if not to mess up your name with your siblings? If
1: not to first call you the dog's name followed by (laughs) your brothers. Yeah.
2: Well, is the dog the cutest out of the three of you?
1: I mean, depending on the the era of life, yes, <laughs> there have been a number of dogs. I'm an old man now.
2: <laughs> well, you've outlived them all.
1: <laughs> but and yet, so you are you have a you have a famous podcast. Tell me about what you podcast.
2: Oh my gosh. Well, I have a podcast called Buffering the Vampire Slayer," which you might, mm be able to extrapolate is about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and uh, me and my co-host Kristen uh, talk about one episode at a time and then we write a song recapping the episode we're discussing and that's that's, that's the vibe.
1: That's amazing. I love, I love uh, creativity constraints where you're like, you know what I'm going to do? It's going to write one song about every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer there is. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's seven seasons of 26 episodes but we're going to do it and I will have written a lot of freaking songs by the end of this. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think when we get to the end and I can look back on my sprawling kingdom of 144 Buffy-specific songs, plus jingles, plus uh, non-episodic songs that get thrown in as bonuses, probably around like 160 songs by the time we're done, Uh I'll feel very powerful. I feel powerful already.
1: I hope everybody at home feels powerful, too. That's really what Dear Hank and John is all about. It's about empowering you to be able to handle the various minutiae and Just annoying BS that life is going to throw at you every day until it's all over.
2: I have to say, like, listening to some episodes uh, prior to talking to you today, I felt pretty powerful. And I also felt the transference of power happening from you and John to people.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, I don't want to exaggerate here, have an abundance of belief in our own (laughs) (laughs) self-worth. I was just try trying to say that in the nicest way possible.
2: Yeah, well, no. I mean, like, you have to start with that in order to convince other people of your self-worth, maybe. There has to be a seed that other people can externally... Access
1: Right. Well, hey, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else, as my dear friend RuPaul has said a thousand times to me while watching (laughs) a TV show about Drag Race? Do you want to give some empowering advice to Anna?
2: I really, 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 really do.
1: Okay, let's see if we can do it. Anna asks, Dear Hank and Jenny, I recently quit my retail job to start my own music studio. I've been teaching music, voice, piano, guitar, and ukulele for about 10 years now, and I have plenty of knowledge and Everything needed to be successful at this. My BA is in music. However, how do I gain clientele? I'm bad at self promotion. How do I get over that in order to gain students? Since you guys self promote at least on a weekly basis is true, <laughs> maybe you could give me some advice on how to get over my shyness. Not a banana, Anna. Wow, boy. You, well, one, this can't just be about shyness. It has to be because, like, you're you're not shy in the studio. You're teaching people. You're comfortable doing that, uh, which sounds stressful to me. But I think like it's, it's about like talking yourself up. Which is a different thing from like being timid or like anxious about you know social connection,
2: yeah, what about like hey, I'm having like I'm gonna just throw this group sing along, <laughs> little hang in the park, everybody come and bring your your instruments, and like then like you're you've got people who are interested in music, all coming together, meeting each other, meeting you, and then at the end, you drop the oh, by the way, I teach lessons you
1: all suck at this, <laughs> come learn how to be better. <laughs> Is that how it goes? Okay, I see the error there. The deeper deeper error is like, would anyone do that? I am Mm. shocked at the idea that you think that people would just like see a newspaper ad and be like, I will go meet strangers and play music in the park. You know what? Maybe, Maybe they will.
2: Maybe I've seen too much. Hank, because uh, this is something that like we've done with the podcast and I've done on my own as like my individual music thing where I've just like done park hangs and had people bring instruments. But I already, I guess, had a certain amount of sway and power Mm -hmm. convincing people to do my bidding. (laughs) Well, Anna, if there's if there's one thing I've learned from listening to Dear Hank and John, it's that Turtles All the Way Down is now available in paperback (laughs) and self-promotion is that easy. Very
1: well done. So here is Here's a trick. Make it not like the Anna Banana Studio here. Make it like, you don't have to be, but just as if you are one of the many people who operates out of your studio. Mm. And and then it's like, this is the studio that you're promoting. It's not you. Yes, you're the only person who works at the studio. You're the only person who gives lessons. But you don't have to say that. You say like, just like depersonalize it a little bit. Be like, this is a thing that is available and it's legit and make it look legit. And people will just believe it because what else do they know?
2: That is a great point. And I think like a place that I can draw, that I definitely draw power from in day to day life. Anytime I can like talk about something that I am a part of. Versus something yeah. that's, like, just my thing. That uh, it's am. so much yeah. easier. Like, we oh, yeah. are. Just, like, just the ability to say we or, like, a bunch of people worked on this thing. <laughs> yeah. Really, really helps to, to smooth over the, like, sort of cactusiness of uh, mm-hmm. trying to tell people you rock.
1: Ultimately, I think sometimes we, the reason we feel weird about that is because we know that if we saw an ad that was, like, some rando person wants to teach me ukulele, like, why do I trust that person? And so depersonalizing it is one way to uh, to sort of start, start that up. And then also, of course, you're going to want to look at all kinds of ways to get recommendations from other people and t- at music stores, uh, people who are going to be looking for places like putting your... Fires up in places, having conversations with those people and letting them know that your wares are available. But I think it's great. I think that if you have the opportunity and if it's something that you have ever dreamed of, like doing a little bit of small business, I think you should do that because it's wild and you learn a lot and you never know how it's going to go. But always keep learning.
2: Doing a little bit of small business. Just a little. Just a little. Just a
1: taste. <laughs> Start out small. Yeah. This first one's free.
2: So we, you and I, Hank, of course, yeah. received a missive from Cameron, who writes Dear Hank and Jenny. On a recent high school trip to the American Museum of Natural History, our teacher made our tour group split into subgroups, and I feel like I got scammed. I mistakenly joined the other freshman with a rather impulsive junior who raced, how dare they, through five dinosaur galleries to take a selfie with a T-Rex, ran through the Hall of Biodiversity to take a photo with a giant whale, and then decided that the group spend the rest of their time in the gift shop and cafeteria, where we all awkwardly oh. watched her eat a plate of macaroni and cheese. Oh. In the four hours we were there, I felt like I had seen absolutely nothing, even though four hours doesn't let you see much of any museum. My question is, do you think that museums are better explored as a group or individually or individually? artifacts, and animals, Cameron. Cameron! Cameron, You're pain! It's rough.
1: Can you not split off? Like, was there, was there rules? Like, once you've gone with this person, it's over? You just gotta hide. But I guess you don't want to get lost. Hank,
2: have you ever been to the American Museum of Natural History? I have. I mean, then I certainly hope you can agree that it is one of the most magical places in all of the land. And <laughs> the... F- I my heart when I read this question my heart like just started bleeding for Cameron and it has not stopped Cameron you must go back a <laughs>
1: To drag this disinterested junior along with the, you and and tell them all of the beautiful things that they are missing out on in life by not having their eyes open to the wonder and majesty of the universe.
2: Yeah, truly. Or leave that junior alone, alone. and go or back by yourself. I mean, I think cultural things and, and uh, entertainment-y things are sort of like understood by us as a a group outing, like people go to the movies on a date or with their friends. People go to museums in groups on field trips. Uh, People Mm -hmm. do stuff together all the time. But I think there's something to be said for going to museums by yourself if you're comfortable doing stuff by yourself, especially a museum like that one uh, where it's sprawling and there are so many different kinds of things that you can experience. And like having to and macaroni and cheese is probably just not one of them, you know. (laughs) Uh, So having somebody else that's going to dictate what you do and do not get to see is just a bummer.
1: I I never have been to a museum by myself because I don't go to places where museums are unless I'm on vacation. And then I'm like with people because I go on vacation with my family. But once you're in the museum, you just break apart sometimes like you end up in different places or, you know, like there's nothing wrong with that. But but it's also if you find somebody who has similar interests to you, it is often also very fun to be able to share that with people and be like, what is your take on this? You know, what are you experiencing now? I Like, I thought that this was fascinating and stared at it for 15 minutes because of X reason. And like, you didn't look at it at all. And I'm curious about why I liked it and you didn't or vice versa. Because I I think that it's great to be able to experience something through multiple people's eyes. But yeah, like definitely no reason to be stuck. Unless there is a policy of your school to be stuck, which it sounds like maybe that was the situation you had.
2: Yeah, it sounds like you didn't get a square deal, Cameron. Yeah. But you must return. You must take your fate into your own hands and get the natural history experience you so (laughs) very much deserve.
1: Uh, All people go to museums, folks. It's amazing. This next question comes from Liz, who asks, Dear Hank and Jenny, when I moved into an apartment after college, I hung up my graduation tassel and two honor cords Now I'm moving and packing up and feeling not much attachment to those items after five years. I don't plan to hang them up in my new place. So what should I do with them? Just let them sit in the box forever or throw them away? That seems so heartless and unsentimental, trying not to be heart. Liz. (laughs) Ah, heartless. Got it. Great. Great landing. (laughs) Yeah. I did my best on the performance there. I don't know that I could have done better. And I think that it is important to have stuff that documents the things that are important moments in your life. And for a while, I did not think that. I had this sort of like, eh, it's all just trash perspective. And now I regret that. But what I do is I do not like collect boxes full of stuff I decide that if something is important to me, I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to make something with it. I'm going to put it in a frame. I'm going to put it somewhere on a shelf where it's going to be a part of the thing that I'm doing. And I got this from John, actually, because I was visiting his house one time and he has this sort of like area on his staircase that's just like a bunch of framed photos. But then also a lot of like framed things that aren't photos. And I was like, that's really smart. Like, just stick it on the wall. And then, like, you look at it, and it's like a note from his professor when he published his first book. Like, his English professor from high school sent him a note that he put on the wall and, like, stuff from, you know, Sarah's art curatorial career. And in that, that vein, I, like, framed the first badge that I got from the first VidCon. Like, it was, you know, in a box somewhere. And I was like, I'm going to put that in a frame, and I'm going to put it on the wall. And that will be a thing that I will look at it and think, like, this was a thing that, like, I was a part of. And then, I, like, I made with my brother and like and my friends and it's really cool and i'm glad that it's a thing so i don't know if that's applicable to this particular situation but i do think that it's important to have ways for me anyway to celebrate those moments
2: wow i am at the polar like opposite of a yeah, uh, developmental right. place than you and we might totally swap places in a year or five who knows who can say for sure but I just rode the whole Marie Condo train, yeah, all the way to, um,
1: to to Naked Apartmentville. Naked
2: Apartmentville, well, <laughs> something like that, or it, it just sort of like gave me a different perspective, I guess, on on things. And we all grow up like seeing the way that like our parents and our grandparents take care of their stuff and hold on to things, or don't, and like how we all have like I think a different way that we we come to think about stuff. That we get from them and from other uh, external influences around us. So like, who can say where Liz right. is coming from? <laughs> but but yep. what I wish to impress upon Liz, since the spirit of this podcast is all about power <laughs> and giving it to people or just reminding it that they totally have. It. it was there. It was the friends we made along the way. It was there all along inside you. Liz, you don't have to hold on to your tassel and honor cords. You can, but you don't have to. And like, it's ultimately up to you. And like, what you were talking about with like finding different ways to like display or save things that aren't just like keeping them in a box is really sick, like such a, a cool way. And then you're kind of like, you catch it out of the corner of your eye and you're like, oh yeah, I have like this very fond memory. But that is sort of like the other... Side of the you don't have to hold on to something coin just because, like, you feel a sense of obligation. There is also the fact that, like, it is nice. It is, like, warming and and empowering to, like, have those sort of, like, touchstones that remind mm-hmm. you that, like, you are real and you have an impact on the world around you or you had a goal and you accomplished it. Because I feel like the world is so fast. Every We're all just, like, little bullets speeding through the atmosphere and, and it's so easy to forget yeah. that we rock.
1: Yeah, that, like, any of the cool things that have happened to us have happened to us.
2: Yeah. So speaking of, like, speeding through the air... <laughs>
1: Like (laughs) like the Marie Kondo train is?
2: Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) It's a flying train, like from Back to the Future 2 or 3, possibly. (laughs) Precisely.
2: Uh, Yeah, I think 3 is the train. (laughs) Gwen has also been flying through the air uh, recently and writes, Dear Hank and Jenny, when I travel overseas on my own, I book an aisle seat as I don't like having to climb over people if I need to get out. My issue arises when I get to my allocated aisle seat and find someone else sitting in it. How do I deal with this? I specifically booked this seat for me, and now someone else has settled themselves into my seat. I don't like confrontation, and a window seat isn't really that bad, but that is my seat! Stuck <laughs> in a metal cylinder at 35,000 feet. Gwen, 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 Gwen. Gwen, I feel you. Uh-huh. Confrontation is tough, and even mm-hmm. when it's as simple as, like, that is the thing that I picked out and paid for, may I please have it? It can be so hard, but Gwen... You deserve the aisle seat. Think of how your veins and muscles will thank you when you get off your flight, Uh, when you were able to get up and walk around without bothering anybody, which is also confrontation. Like, think of the confrontation that would arise if you took the window seat and then you got up to pee, you know, five times in your cross-country flight, as I would. That's all, that's five times the confrontation.
1: We have to create ways to imbue our power onto Gwen. Yes. What is is the source of my power? When I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, a six foot one white guy in America. I'm sorry. I guess I figured out what the source of my power is. But <laughs> uh, I, I just look at the ticket and I say, that's my seat. And then I'm like, that's my seat. And they're like, oh, that's your seat. And I'm like, that's my seat. And then that's how it goes for me.
2: Gwen, if you're not <laughs> a six foot tall uh, white guy, um, here's something you could try. I like to just frame it as like, Giving them the opportunity to be like, oh, gosh, of course, let me get out of your way. So, like, I like to, to roll up and say, like, oh, wow, I'm really sorry. I probably shouldn't be endorsing people apologizing when there's nothing to be apologizing for, but this is my way. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think that you might be in my seat, or I think I might be meant to sit there.
1: That's the script for sure. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think, well, to be fair, sometimes you're wrong. I've been I've wrong I've been wrong, before.
2: too. Oh, so embarrassing.
1: <laughs> and then you're like, wait, oh, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, yes, I see, I'm behind <laughs> you. The numbers are confusing.
2: Yes, yes, yes. But the important thing to remember is that, like, you deserve to sit in your seat.
1: It's almost always an accident. It's confusing. They got the A and the B, and it's like, they put the little picture of the window next to the A, and you're like, but is that... And some people, like, I have, you know, a little little bit of sensory processing issues. I always mess that up. So, like, I I need you to tell me. I need to know if I've done the wrong thing. Because I probably don't.
2: Yes. Yes. And as someone, I mean, personally, I love rules. And if I was in somebody's seat and they were like, you're in my seat, I would be so thankful that they just talked to me about it um, so that I could correct the issue. Right. And restore justice.
1: Instead of getting off the plane and tweeting like, Hank Green was such a tool, he sat in my seat the whole flight.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Have you ever received a post-flight negative review?
1: (laughs) No, but I do sometimes receive post-flight, like, just, like, letting you know.
2: Ah. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, it's like, yeah. that's, that's, like, the, the wildest choice of the three.
1: Uh, I did that to someone else, actually, once. I was sitting, like, two seats away from Bianca Del Rio of RuPaul's Drag Race fame. Aha! Uh-huh. And tweeted after word that I was pretty sure I was on the same plane as Bianca Del Rio. And Bianca tweeted at me and was like, why didn't you say hi? And I was like, I mean, to be completely honest, you looked very sleepy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I So yeah, I guess I've done it to people. Feel free if you see me on a plane to say hi or tweet at me afterward, letting me know that it happened.
2: <laughs> yes. Also, I mean, I know we've only just met listeners, but feel free to do the same to me. I prefer the hello, because if if you get the post tweet, that's like, they were looking. They saw you. I'm like, what did I do? What embarrassing thing did I do? What what I literally dumb thing was I watching on my back of the seat TV? (laughs)
1: Yeah, you you saw the bad TV I watched. (laughs) I went to a thing at the university, like a showcase of the performing arts department, and I saw a tweet. Afterward, from someone who said, Saw Hank Green at this performance at the university. He dug out a big old booger. No. That really humanized him for me. And I was like, Are you for real right now? Why? I mean, probably. Probably I did. I didn't think you were looking at me.
2: Look, these things happen, but like, why put that image in everyone else's head?
1: Yeah. Why? Especially especially yours. Now I know. Well, honestly, maybe I do need to be told that it's enough with the nose picking. (laughs) Because if I'm doing it and people are noticing, I want to know. I want to know. Let me know. The other day, I picked my nose in front of my two and a half year old son and he said, big, huge, big, big booger. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to brag.
2: Sure, 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 sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, We've got another question. This one's from Anonymous who asks, dear Hank and Jenny, I have a student who's named Sincere. We're currently learning how to write professional emails, and I face a dilemma. How does Sincere conclude professional letters? Sincerely, best regards. So, Jenny, are you aware and have you noticed that we do a thing here at Dear Hank and John, name-specific sign-offs?
2: I sure have noticed that.
1: <laughs> and I love, I love our name-specific sign-offs. And I just couldn't pass this question up because Sincere has the best of all in the easiest of all name-specific sign-offs, which is of course Sincerely Sincere. And I think you gotta go with that.
2: Yeah, I gotta say, when I first read this, I was like, oh no, you must avoid sincerely. But hearing you say it, it just sounded so convincing and satisfying.
1: Right, and like brave, you're like saying, yes. My name is Sincere. That's a perfectly fine name. And people say Sincerely. And I'm going to say Sincerely Sincere because it sounds cool and I'm cool and I'm comfortable. And this podcast is all about empowerment.
2: <laughs> I think my, like, one caveat would be if you're writing an email to somebody who you've never met, I feel like it might be worth finding a different sign-off just for that because I feel like it might just feel the- like you just <laughs> accidentally wrote, like, Sincerely and then kept writing <laughs> that word again <laughs> but forgot the last two letters. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I would maybe I'm a coward. I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
1: This is you're doing a terrible job of empowerment. <laughs> if, I think ninety percent of the time people aren't going to misread it and are going to understand that your name is Sincere. and Or they'll like look at it and be like, oh, what? And then look and be like, oh, this person's name is Sincere.
2: Especially if your email is like sincere at gmail.com or like sincere Smith or something. Like if there's <laughs> yeah. one piece of evidence to back it up just to right. avoid confusion, then I think you are well, you, golden.
1: Yeah, you have to start. You got to lead with your name. If you're meeting someone in email for the first time, you always say, hi, this is Sincere. I'm emailing because I saw your profile on LinkedIn. I've got LinkedIn Premium, and I saw you snooping on my stuff, and I wanted you to let you know that I am interested in working at your company oh, well, or whatever.
2: Wow. <laughs> wow, I'm learning a lot about LinkedIn right now. I think
1: <laughs> that's how it works. I'm pretty sure I haven't done a job search in a while, for being honest. Okay, okay. That's mostly podcasting for me these days. Uh, I just really like it when people lean into like and and own something that is a little bit unusual about themselves. But but I also understand that sometimes there are certain folks out there who don't like it unusual. Anything unusual they're like, "I don't know. I'm not sure what that means. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe just put that one on the back burner and take somebody named Susan." <laughs> and I like that's a real thing. That's real America and I I understand that. So, I definitely play it case by case. But if you're applying for a job with me, definitely go sincerely sincere.
2: Yes. And if you're applying for a job with me, maybe like the first time you email, your your send-off could be like, I would sign this off sincerely, however my parents named me sincere.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I I wouldn't I wouldn't leave that behind if I had the opportunity. <laughs>
2: Could I introduce uh, a question that has not to do with empowerment, but maybe like the opposite thereof? Okay, go. Meg writes, Dear Hank and Jenny, Why do bugs often die on their backs? How do they even flip over? (laughs) I am scared to Google this because I don't want to see pictures. Thank you, Meg.
1: There's going to be lots of good pictures.
2: (sighs) This is such a great question.
1: Do you know the answer to this question? I don't
2: know the answer, but I'm dying to know the answer, but I'm not going to flip over on my back. Or anything. Well, you I don't just really want to I mean, know.
1: I'm worried now that you think that if you lie down on your back, you will die.
2: Yeah, what what actually comes first is really the question.
1: So that's the thing. I think oftentimes, ultimately, the flipping wasn't caused by the death. The death was caused by the flipping, and not entirely. But if you are a, a, a sort of like waning insect, <laughs> um, th- for whatever reason, uh, if you're in your last days. <laughs> Um, and you get stuck on your back, you are not able to flip yourself back over and that will be the cause of your death. Now, ultimately, you were going to die soon anyway. You're on the way out, but like you couldn't continue with all your bugly duties because you got stuck on your back and you weren't strong enough to flip yourself back over as you once were in your youth. So that's one piece of it. The other piece is that Oftentimes when we see bugs that are flipped over on their backs, they have been poisoned. So so like the way that insecticide works, it's, it's like usually some kind of motor nerve disruptor oh that is God. active in insects, but not in humans. So like theoretically, like don't eat it or anything, but like it wouldn't kill a person the way it will kill a bug. And so they have this like nervous system disruption, which makes them spasm and do all kinds of weird things and like that tends to lead to them being on their backs and then they're not able to flip themselves back over.
2: This is so much more like macabre than I thought it was going to be. I, it's I, death.
1: It's all, like, there's no yeah. good way to die when you're a bug.
2: How callous of me to devalue insect death. So yeah, you, you thought it was going to be just all fun and fun. games. <laughs> yeah, well, you did say bugly duties, so I wouldn't trade that for much. And also <laughs> waning insect is like so close to waning crest. I'm really hung up on waning insect because like that's definitely like a ban.
1: <laughs> Good. I'm glad you I'm glad you liked it. My son is super super into the moon so we talk a lot about <gasps> waning and waxing. It's pretty great to hear my son say I'm like, what kind of moon is that? And he goes, waxing gibbous. And I'm like, yeah, you said waxing gibbous. Yo, That's my boy.
2: Rocks. That's the kind of kid I want to have.
1: Yeah. Hell yeah.
2: That is cool.
1: I don't think that he actually understands waxing and waning, but he does understand gibbous, which is baller.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty cool.
1: I, having a son who's super obsessed with the moon, am hyper aware of the moon now, which is wonderful. I just like... I always know where the moon's at. It's very oh, yeah. close as we're recording. It's very nearly a new moon. I know exactly where it is in the sky. You can't see it because it's so close to being a new moon. It's very close to the sun. And I like get it more than I ever have in my life. Uh, it's great.
2: That's so awesome.
1: Yeah. that's. I just needed a moon-obsessed boy.
2: Yeah, you just needed a reason. Yeah. I've been doing some moon ser- research recently too. Mm-hmm. Did you know that it's like... Two hundred and sixty-two degrees Fahrenheit on the light side of the moon, and like negative two hundred and sixty degrees Fahrenheit yeah. on the dark.
1: Yeah, it's no, it's no good. You were
2: already you were prepared with <laughs> so, that. Yeah, it's it's deeply uninhabitable.
1: Yeah, I mean it depends on how you count. Like it, it, there's no air there, so it's hard for the heat to get into you, so Mm. it's just like direct radiation from the sun Uh, that's heating you up. Yeah,
2: which uh, probably worse, probably worse than just a very, 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 very hot day. Uh,
1: Probably, it might, in terms of the heat transfer, be better. So a very hot day would probably kill you faster if it were that temperature than just the direct radiation of the sun, but what is going to get you faster than either of those things is the complete lack of... Utter
2: lack of oxygen or atmosphere. Atmosphere,
1: yeah. That's just going to boil you. It'll
2: get you. Oh, Yeah.
1: (laughs) Every time. Uh, Which reminds me that this podcast is brought to you by Dying on the Moon. Dying on the Moon. So far, thank God no one's done it.
2: Uh, This podcast is also brought to you by Dying on Your Back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is that cool? Is that a good ad? Yeah, sure. Tell me about what's Dying on Your Back's tagline. Disrupt your own motor nerve
2: continuum. What were the good science words you used?
1: (laughs) Bugly duties, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and this podcast is also brought to you by the Back to the Future Marie Kondo train it flies it's made of light powered by fusion and gets rid of all of your excess stuff of which I have let's be honest too much wow does anybody want this DVD that is on my floor (laughs) of my office for some reason? Why do I have a DVD? Uh, This podcast
2: is also and finally brought to you by um, your plane ticket that definitely allows you to sit in the seat that you paid for and bought.
1: This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look. There are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system. But there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com doc, 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 right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com.
2: 13D, it's yours.
1: It's yours. All right. We got another question. It's from Anonymous, because maybe anonymous's roommate listens to the podcast. It <laughs> says, Dear Hank and Jenny, my roommate puts A lot of stock into a person's Myers-Briggs personality type. Myers-Briggs, I think is how that's said. How do I tell her that while those tests are fun and can provide a framework for understanding they are not the end-all and be-all of someone's soul? Sincerely, ISFJ or INFJ, depending on my mood.
2: I mean, your sign-off, even your sign-off indicates that you are highly connected to the malleability of a person's given state of being.
1: Oh, God, what a great sponsor. (laughs) I wish we'd gotten that one in. (laughs) This podcast is definitely brought to you by the malleability of a person's different states of being. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I feel this way about generations. I feel this way about astrology. I feel this Mm -hmm. way about personality types. We, Of course, we want to put ourselves into, like, like, boxes to understand ourselves with. And I think that they can lead to some better understanding. I think that, that, like, questioning ourselves and and lenses through which to examine ourselves are, are super important. But, like, ultimately, it's all gonna be imperfect. And also, always remember that you are not one person and that you're going to change and you're going to be different and like life is going to surprise you when you look back and say, I was like that once. If you decide that you are one type of person and will be forever, you might be. And that probably won't be that great. It's good to be able to wiggle around some. I like wiggling.
2: Yeah. I'm worried about your roommate now that maybe like your roommate's going to stay the same kind of person forever and always because they put so much stock in the Myers-Briggs personality type uh, system. I think like you said, like astrology, Myers-Briggs stuff, religion, if you please, like they're all like different filters that you have the option of looking at your life through and like whatever you project onto yourself because of something that you read is the thing that you need to like learn or think about Mm -hmm. or consider.
1: And I also, I don't want to begrudge people for those lenses. Like I, you know, obviously I find personally astrology To be hocus pocus. Oh, are you Uh, a Virgo, Hank? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Keep guessing, girl. (laughs) Is that the sign that doesn't believe in astrology?
2: Uh, Least likely to, generally speaking.
1: (laughs) It's amazing. I love that so much. (laughs) Um, But like, I don't like get up in people's business about it. When like it comes up, it's like, you know, like, I don't feel like this is doing harm to people, I think it's a lens through which to look at stuff. I think that if you're seeing a an astrologer and they're charging you $200 a session, that like you probably be better off talking to a therapist that's not going to try to predict the future cuz it's a little <laughs> weird. But I think that it's the same thing with personality types. And you know, I think uh, honestly you're going to get a little bit more accuracy out of a personality type because at least you're like testing what you're like right now. What I don't want people to think is that like these are something that was defined upon birth and that you're stuck with forever. Oh, boy. I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, Personality tests our whole thing and and they're also like I feel like they're super controversial and they create a ton of opportunity for people to yell at each other and I also don't want to condone that so don't like I feel like don't rag on your roommate just because they found something that they're interested in right now Well, the world is long and six months from now they might have found a new interest
2: oh yeah and you don't need to fix your roommate I got the impression and maybe this is just me projecting or something but I got the impression from this this email that like your roommate is like putting a lot on you with regards to Myers-Briggs and that it's like suffocating you emotionally in some way maybe uh-huh. Uh, and if that's the case, like, you deserve better. You deserve fresh air. But make, make a safe space for yourself away from that conversation if it is oppressing you. But also, like, if they're just in a tailspin about it, like, you can step away and, like, you, you don't have to get involved. In their salvation.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to do, before the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, one piece of an update from Liz, who asks, Dear Mostly Hank, but also Jenny. Nice. Uh, Hank mentioned in a recent episode that he was a mascot in high school. I've always wondered, when people want to take a picture with the mascot, do you smile from inside the suit, even though no one can see? Curiously, Liz. I guess probably this question is mostly for me. Have you ever been on the inside of a mascot suit?
2: Uh, not yet, I guess would be oh, my official answer.
1: That's good. I'm glad that you've left the door open. Yeah. So, yes. Yes. I don't, like, I can't speak for all mascots, but, like, I was completely incapable of projecting an emotion with my body without projecting it with my face. And... It would be wild to me to think that someone out there can do that and be, like, happy-go-lucky Willie the Wildcat doing all of the things to make the kids happy, but at the same time just, like, completely dead-faced. Because you could be, <laughs> like, no, like, there's nothing saying you can't be, but it was not a skill that I had.
2: Yeah, I don't even know how people can, like, just be in a picture without automatically having the, like, reflex of, like, right. hooray! Yeah. <laughs> Here we go.
1: Yeah. And do you feel a little bit dumb when you got your big old smile on and you're taking a picture, even though you're behind a gigantic wood, cardboard, and foam contraption? The mm. yeah, you do feel a little silly, mm. but that's okay. You got to own it because the whole that's it's all about empowerment and just doing what feels right. I Feel like we've done more good in this episode of Dear Hank and John than all of the rest of them combined.
2: Ah, then my mission here is complete. That rocks. It's
1: Fantastic not news. complete. Well, not
2: quite complete, but you know
1: because. You haven't given us the news from AFC Wimbledon.
2: Well, there's never been anyone in the history of your podcast more qualified to bring the news of AFC Wimbledon to the people. So listen <laughs> right, up. hit me. In AFC Wimbledon news, there is a lot of hubbub about Joe the Pig, Who pigot. pigot Is that right? Do you know? <laughs>
1: it's Piggot, but that's pigot. okay.
2: Joe the Pig, Pigot. What an unfortunate nickname. Who scored possibly most of AFC Wimbledon's goals last year. AFC Wimbledon has Piggott in a contract, but that hasn't prevented a lot of clubs from expressing interest, including Reading, who has maybe offered Wimbledon $250,000 is that U.S. dollars to buy out Pickett's contract?
1: I don't know, actually. If you ask me, unknown, I'm not sure. It unknown. might be pounds. Just
2: 250000 of something. <laughs> Though Wimbledon manager Wally Downs. Oh, my God. This is a <laughs> yeah, cartoon. Yeah, that's a real this name. This whole I know. thing is a cartoon. <laughs> Willie Downs says that they have at this point received no bids for Joe. So where did that $250,000 number come from? Who would get that money? How does any of this work? Look, I don't have any idea. It's all very confusing. But the important thing is... Joe's future is up in the air and he played so well that he is probably leaving Wimbledon behind, which is bad news. Can I ask a question? Yeah, please. (laughs) Are Liverpool and Wimbledon the same thing? What? I feel like the last AFC, like the last soccer related update I heard you guys doing, there was like a lot of talk about. Liverpool doing a lot of good.
1: That's, you are, yeah, you're correct. There was a lot of talk about Liverpool that was unrelated, separate soccer news that has been introduced into the podcast without my permission. I am so, I have made a terrible mess of things.
2: (laughs) I just, I was just seeking to understand, but now am I? No, I'm
1: not mad at you. I'm mad at John for introducing new soccer news and then just pooping all over my idea to have a Smash Mouth related segment that no one wants me to do.
2: I was just in a studio that used to be the domain of Smash Mouth, and oh, wow. they covered the walls in like this jewel tone Lisa Frank esque colored, like multicolored oh, yarn.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. So now
2: here, that's your Smash Mouth segment. Ta da! Balance <laughs> is restored.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That's wonderful. I love it. Any amount of Smash Mouth trivia I can receive, I will take. <laughs> every every time I watch the music video, I have new <laughs> questions, and it's I, it's not. Dozens of times that I've seen it. It's hundreds. Wow. What if you wrote a song <laughs> yes. about every single shot
2: oh my God. of the
1: music video for Smash Mouth's All Star? Okay,
2: as you are proposing this to me, I am desperately trying to remember what the music video for All Star looks like. Can you describe oh. it to me? Can you paint me a oh, picture? Oh, yes,
1: I can. I could probably, yes. I, uh, so music videos is... <laughs> so that's, that's the music video in sort of rough form.
2: Okay. Wow,
1: they made an entire cheetah print house. Oh my god. Just for that one shot that no one noticed, but I noticed it, so it was all worthwhile. Hmm. Hmm. What does it mean? This is a great podcast. <laughs> I feel
2: good about it.
1: <laughs> uh, I love it. This week in Mars news. Mars got hacked. So, that's my Mars news this week. JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, Had a security breach (gasps) and about 500 megabytes of data was stolen. So some restricted information, some of the stolen files related to the Curiosity rover. Oh my God. It happened last April and it went undetected for 10 months. Oh my God. They had a a hole in their security for 10 months. You might think that hacking NASA would require some pretty advanced like Mission Impossible type technology, but the actual source of the hack or the security hole, not the hack, was a small cheap computer uh, called a Raspberry Pi. Do you know what Raspberry Pis are?
2: Can you please tell
1: me? They are... Super cheap computers that are often used in like DIY fun things like, you know, make a whoopee cushion that's remote control operated stuff. And they're like 35 bucks for a computer. Wow. Uh, But they're basically a credit card sized like motherboard computer built in logic chip. So somebody had plugged one of those in that had like to the JPL network that had access out of the building And somebody was able to use that Raspberry Pi as a backdoor into JPL. And Raspberry Pis are very well understood by the hacker community because they use them all the time. And uh, somebody found one and was able to get into the JPL network through it Now, what this means, ultimately, like, there isn't a lot of, like, super confidential stuff. JPL and the Mars program are all, like, it's public information. But, like, a lot of that information isn't, like, meant to be shared until it undergoes some scientific processing and et cetera. And also, like, what can you do once you're in there? What can you control? It's closed down now. They've closed the security hole. doesn't look like anybody was actually able to go in and, uh, like, move Curiosity on Mars or anything. But... Yeah, Mars got hacked. So that's bound to happen one way or another. I remember when I was in high school, I was like, that was the big get. If you could hack NASA, then you were like a legend. But it's still possible. And people do it all the time just because it sounds really good.
2: Yeah, that sounds like the kind of thing that is only useful in being able to then later say, I did this thing. Yeah,
1: I did (laughs) hack NASA. That was me. Uh, So it's still under investigation and we'll see if anybody gets caught which would be bad for that person.
2: Wow, yeah. Yeah, just to be clear, it wasn't you, right? No! Okay.
1: Definitely not. As far as I know, I've been fairly busy, too busy to hack NASA. Sure, 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 sure. It's
2: exactly what somebody who hacked NASA would say.
1: Yeah, look, I've been really busy looking at every single frame of Smash Mouth salsa. (laughs) so there's no way I could have had time to hack NASA. (laughs) Jenny Owen Youngs, thank you for podcasting with me.
2: Uh, thank you for podcasting with me.
1: Yeah, it's been really fun. This podcast is edited by Joseph tuna It's produced by Rosianna Halls, Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music that you're hearing now at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome.
2: awesome.